the latter half of Philippians chapter 2. And at the close of the message today, you're going to know why I want to bring this lesson. You're going to know why. So you've got to pay attention through the whole thing. And, um, you know, you've got to pay attention to the whole, the whole message so that you get a hold of it uh, here today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, quite a bit of readings, uh, verses 17 through 30. If you don't mind, guys, I'd, I'd ask you if you'll stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God here this morning. I know we have our reading on Sunday mornings, which uh, takes care of that. Uh, but in verse 17 is where we're going to begin. And we'll read it so we can hear it and understand it clearly. Verse 17 says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause, for the same cause do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you, and was full of heaviness, because that ye have heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice." and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because the work of Christ, because of, uh, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time this morning. Pray you bless your message to the hearts of the hearers. We pray, Lord, that you would touch our minds, our, our souls, dear Lord. We pray that you'd open up our clarity of thought. And I pray, dear God, today as we begin this Bible study this morning, that you would not only bless the time together, but that you would bless your word to our hearts, that it may affect us, that it may set us up and prepare us for the new year. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please be seated. So if you're a student of Paul's life or Paul's writings and his letters here, uh, we understand uh, when Paul writes back to Philippi, this mighty and wonderful church started in the house of Lydia, uh, we understand that, that, that there was sorrow going on. There were some issues. We know that Paul and himself was being persecuted and but the direction of Paul's letter when he gets into the second chapter, mainly the latter half of the second chapter, it, it takes on a very personal overtone. There's a very personal way of writing it. It's personal to him. It's personal to the Lord. And, and we find that the apostle now begins to deal with, with his fellow laborers, or those who were working with him. We see Timotheus mentioned in verse 19 and, and Epaphroditus in verse 25. And most of, most of what we are reading, guys, here, in all fairness, is self-explanatory. It's, it's self-understanding. 
Uh, however, as, as an introductory note this morning, I want us to all understand that fellow laborers are priceless. Not only because of their great worth, but because of their great rarity in today's world. Our society seems to be quite happy to sit back and allow someone else to do the work. Someone else uh, to do something. That, that's a foreign idea with my family. Foreign idea with, with all of my family. But fellow laborers are rare. And it's one of the reasons Paul mentions this in verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Most today are trying to make a name for themselves as opposed to becoming like-minded and serving the Lord without the accolades and credit. You know, my dad, my dad, uh, an 80-year-old dad, he's soon to be 81 next month, uh, has one leg. He's an amputee from December 8, 1968, uh, stepped on a landmine in Vietnam. But he is the hardest worker I know, hardest worker I know. I, I mean, he's the hardest worker in the church. He doesn't expect anyone to do the work for him, and rightly so. Because, guys, you know, in reality, if he didn't do it, the work wouldn't get accomplished. And I understand that. And this is how I was raised. This is how my wife is. And this is why, uh, uh, this is, well, I'll go ahead and say it. This is why your pastor cleans toilets. Because if he doesn't do it, it might not get done, or his wife does it. That's just the way that is. And this is why people complain, or they make comments about, uh, you, know, wh- you know, whether something has been done. And, and, and you know what, you know, here's my, here's my reply to people when they ask about how something has been done is that I like the way that I'm doing it or the way my wife does it better than the way you're not doing it. Amen? And uh, just going to make that clear about labor today. And beloved, we were made, we were created to work. And, and guys, if you aren't willing to work, I, I suggest you keep silent about those who are working. Amen? Paul had some great workers with him along the way. And undoubtedly, he had some lazy people as well. We know the rebuke when he wrote back to Thessalonica. You know that he was rebuking them, saying, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. He said, there's some of you that, uh, you know, they, they work, yeah, but they work privily, and they do this and they do that. Undoubtedly, he had people that were lazy. I understand that. The 80-20 rule is part of, of human nature, meaning that 80% of the work is typically done by uh, 20% of the people. Now, guys, I don't believe that to be an exact science by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a carryover for what's known as the Pareto principle. The Pareto principle often was called the 80-20 rule, and it's commonly a shared idea that 80% of the results uh, is in a given endeavor are from 20% of the work, which means you know 80% of your revenue comes from the best 20% of your clients. That's what that is a reference to. Now, most of the time, people bring this rule up as a way to, to make a point that you should focus on the top 20%, uh, I mean, you know, pulling all your energy into the things that provide the greatest and biggest benefits. And I understand that, guys. And, and it's excellent advice. It really is. But what we often forget that is even if you know the top 20% of what it would be, you still need to avoid the pitfall of wasting time on the, ra- uh, on the rest of the 80% of the task in your life. In many cases, the danger isn't knowing what the most important task of the day. The danger is doing the seventh most important task for the day. That's the danger. So guys, don't just identify the 20% of strategies in your life to be the most effective, 
But eliminate 80% of the strategies which are wasteful in your day and your time if you want to be an effective fellow laborer in the ministry. Distractions, when what's taking you away from serving the Lord? What's taking you away from focusing on the ministry? What's removing you from being the Christian that God wants you to be? It becomes much easier when you are able to remain focused. Now, how this applies in society is that 20% of the people focus on 80% of the work, which, when performed at an optimum level, it prioritizes their task. So we go back to our scripture this morning, and how do we apply this fellow laborer idea? How do we apply the optimizing our time and our life for the Lord? Well, let's go to verse 17 and notice what Paul's principle here is. In verse 17, Paul says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, Paul was willing to die in order to produce in them the type of Christianity or the type of Christian they would be. He was willing to give his life up so that they may learn what a Christian in this life should be like. This is active living too, by the way. Active living. He was willing to sacrifice his life, all things, in order to make a difference in their life. It gives us a clearer understanding, guys, uh, into the statements that the apostle makes, like in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Guys, do you know how you're going to, you're going to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your... You know how you're going to do that? You're going to have to think soberly. You're going to have to not think that you're better than you are or you're greater than you are. But you're going to take the measure of faith that God gave every single individual today. That's how you're going to present your bodies, a living sacrifice. Outside of that, it'll never happen. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul is reinforcing the fact that their faith includes their attitude toward serving and sacrificing, as well as every Christian should do. Your faith, the measure of faith that God gave you, giving you the ability to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, refusing to be conformed to this world by renewing your mind so that you can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God only comes about by taking the faith that God gave you and then put yourself in a humble position and think soberly, amen. The fact that our faith includes our attitude towards serving. What's your attitude towards serving today? What is your attitude towards sacrificing today? Do you know it's seen in your actions? It's seen in your actions and how you conduct yourself, how you carry yourself. It's seen in your level of commitment, your level of dedication, your diligence. That's what it's seen in, your faith. I know this for one. I understand fully there are people today, believers today, who physically cannot do what they once could do, okay? Okay? I remember as a, as a, as a 20-year-old, 20 20-something-year-old 20 preacher, 
preaching and stumbling my, my way through an outline and just making a mess of things. I remember older men would come up and say, you know, son, I'm praying for you. And I remember who those men were. They used to be on visitation when they were young or younger. They couldn't get out at night. They couldn't, they couldn't walk the streets. They couldn't do what they used to do. But they spent years serving and sacrificing, and they took that same attitude and action, and they put it into their prayer closet for praying for that younger generation coming around. What does that mean to us today? It means you've got to strike where the iron's hot, because there's going to come a time when you cannot do what you should have done now because of physical constraints. Our faith is seen in our attitude and our actions. Paul says, in, I'm sorry, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up, up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The key here is, guys, is that this is the individual spiritual sacrifices, not the masses. This is not a congregation come together to offer up their spiritual sacrifices, but rather what individuals will do in their lives, individually willing to labor, to adjust, to acclimate, to make the needed changes in their life, to achieve the best results in where the Lord has called them, if in fact the individual Christian is where they have been called. Paul says, I joy. In our text verse that we're reading, verse 17, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul is happy to die with them. He's happy to die for them. And any sacrifice that he's made, he makes it a willing sacrifice, acceptable to God. We see that in chapter 1, verses 11 and 19. It's all right with him. I rejoice, he says. Look in verse 18 with me. Verse 18. He says, uh, for the same cause also do ye joy. And rejoice with me. So go back to those first few words. For the same cause. And this is, again, self-explanatory. Much of this chapter is and should be. But they should be just as happy about it as Paul is. Verse 19 says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus. Again, it's a self-explanatory verse. But look in verse 20 and watch what happens. He says here in verse 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. This returns back to the thought of what we're missing in our churches today. What are we missing in our society today? What are we missing in in our local churches today? We're missing willing laborers. Too many in our world today are building a name for themselves instead of a name for Christ. Too many are lifted up, uh, you know, they're lifting up self instead of the Savior. They're writing their next book, and instead of witnessing the truth, they're forming an empire rather than souls for eternity. We're reminded of, uh, of, of verses 1 through 4 in this very same chapter as Paul uh, you know, talk, talks about the mind of Christ, having that, that mind of a servant, a servant's mindset. I wonder when, when we get up in the morning, 
What is our first thought? What do we think about? How do we say how, what this day is going to be? When we go to bed at night, when we write our calendar down, when we start putting our tick list for the week and the days, and, and all, where is our mindset? Where is it, and what is it focused on? Paul confirms the lack of laborers. We see it in verse 21. Look there with me. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. It's nothing new, beloved. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 9, 37, he says, Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He says again in Luke 10, 2, Therefore saith he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth the laborers into his harvest. And what's the solution, guys? We pray. My prayer this morning during our prayer meeting right here was for local men to surrender to the call to, uh, to, to the ministry. Not for more people to come across the, the, the shore. Not for more foreigners to come over here. Not for more Americans to surrender to come over. But for local people, local men to surrender to the ministry of God. That's my prayer. To send forth these labors into his harvest. Amen. Look at verse 22. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served me in the gospel. So in contrast to the laborers being few, Paul takes a, a turn here. To In contrast of having no man to care after their state. And again, the key, guys, in verse 20, I don't want to leave that too quickly. The key in verse 20, he says, who will naturally care for your state. You know what that means? You, you, when he says to naturally care for your state, you know what that's a reference to? They got to be trained. They got to be taught. You know, there are some people that are natural, natural nurturers. They just, they will care for the state of another person. They will, it's just for some reason, it is built inside of them to look out, to be that protector, to provide, to teach, to preach, to feed. It's just natural for them to protect the flock. Others have to learn it. Others, they can't naturally care for the state of others. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything negative against that. Neither is Paul. They got to be trained. They got to be teachable in order to be trained. That's probably the biggest drawback amongst our preachers and missionaries and all of that today is they just flat unteachable. If you're going to be a knucklehead, man, you can be a knucklehead somewhere else. Amen? But verse 22 is unique. It's, it, it, there's a twist here that it has. But, but you know the proof of him, speaking, speaking of, here, of, um, of Timotheus. He said, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. Timothy is the opposite of those who, uh, who only care about themselves. He, he doesn't care uh, for his own personal state, but he's willing to care for the state of others, as, as Paul mentions in verse 20. And he cares for the things of Christ, verse 21, as a son with the Father he does. Turn, hold your place there. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick. I want you to see something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look down in verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 15 with me this morning. Watch what Paul is saying as he writes back to the church of Corinth. He says here, For, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. 
Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you uh, bring you into remembrance of my ways in uh, my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. See, he's telling he what's happened in Corinth is they got all of these instructors and they're teaching this and that. They had no one that brought forth souls for Christ. All these teachers, but no one to care for their state. And therefore, Paul sends Timothy to look after them, to correct them, to help them. Verses 23 through 24, self-explanatory verses. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently uh, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me, but I trust, uh, trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Look at verse 25 now. Now, verse 25 is a cross-reference to, to chapter 4, verse 18. We'll see it, that in a second. He says, You know, I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. And in chapter 4, verse 18, But I have all that abound and in full, having received Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell. Here we have, guys, a, a real brother in Christ, a true minister of Christ. And, and, and a real brother, a true minister in the Lord Jesus Christ, will attain these five titles. Number one, he is a real brother, okay? He's a real brother. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50 says, For whosoever shall do uh, uh, the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Let me stop you there for a second. I understand that, you know, the doctrinal applications, I understand all those things, but we so soon will move away from that word D-O. Do. Do. Do's an action, amen? It means you got to do something. Jesus Christ, for whosoever shall do the well, wait a second, but I'm saved and born again by believing on. That's true, man. But my goodness, who in the world wants to take a gift from Jesus Christ and then do nothing with it? Why would you want to do that? Guys, there is a blood and birth relationship. He's a brother. John chapter 1 and verse 12 through and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he a power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. But of God. A blood relationship is through the blood of Christ. A birth relationship is through the new birth. John chapter 3. So the first title that you're going to find here, that this that this uh, tr a true minister of Christ is going to attain the title of a brother. Number two, we find that Epaphroditus is an, a companion, a companion. Now, I want you to think about this, guys, if you will. Think about this just for a second. A companion. Uh, not all brothers are companions. Cain and Abel were brothers. Cain slew Abel, right? Jacob and Esau were brothers. And good night. I mean, look at that thing. Isaac and Ishmael, they were half-brothers. My goodness, they've been in war ever since that little thing showed up, amen. I mean, there's some brothers who can't stand to be around you, and you can't stand to be around them. You may love them in the Lord, but their company is a different thing. 
And guys, I'm going to go ahead and say this. You may not like it. There's nothing wrong with that. The verse is already up there. The Bible says, and Paul says in Romans 12, 18, uh, if it be possible, as much as light in you, live peace with all men. Guys, it is possible to live and be at peace with those whose company you do not cherish. All right? It doesn't change the fact that they're not a brother or sister in Christ. It doesn't change that fact. But I'll tell you what, a minister in Christ is not only a brother, but he's a companion, or she's a companion. Thirdly, we're going to find that he's not only a companion, but a fellow soldier. A fellow a soldier is someone who will not break the ranks and steal your, your MREs and break your weapon because problems and be the vices. A, a soldier is someone who's got your six when you sleep. A soldier uh, will be strong in the Lord and the power is might, Ephesians 6.10. A good soldier has the captain as their leader, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. He understands his captain is a man of war, Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. A, a good soldier must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.3. A good soldier will fight the good fight, 2 Timothy 4, 7. A good soldier is called to war, 2 Timothy 2, 4. And a good soldier is in the Lord's army. Cannot be, and I say cannot be a conscientious objector, not a sower, a discord, nor divisive, but fully faithful and trustworthy so they might as war a good warfare, 1 Timothy 1, 18. And beloved, a good soldier understands that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. In the world that we live in today, guys, there are many who are weak and sickly and so-called Christian today, and too many want to exclaim the title of Christian, and yet they're weak in their warfare. Christianity is an action. It's a lifestyle. It's not a label that you receive by getting saved. We find that he's a good soldier. Fourthly, we find that he is a messenger. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 13 says, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. Now this messenger that we're talking about is coming from the Greek word apostolos, which means a delegate, especially what means an ambassador of the gospel, meaning he is there to bear glad tidings. We see in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How, how then shall they call on him in who they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bear glad tidings of good things. Beloved, the man, this man can be described in Proverbs 25, verse 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. He's a messenger, true, true minister. And lastly, guys, he's a minister. Acts 13, verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Romans chapter 15, verse 27, uh, It had pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Beloved, those are the five titles that a true minister of Christ are going to attain. 
we see it in Epaphroditus. Paul's very clear about it. He lists them right there. We're not looking at the white parts. We're not going to the Greek. This is what it is. So we'll close the chapter out today. And I hope and pray that what I want you to find today is the action that needs to be behind our unction. Verse 29 is a self-explanatory verse. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such a reputation. Verse 30, again, self-explanatory. Because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. A little bit of a rebuke there at the very end. Epaphroditus does what the Philippian church was unable to do. Chapter 4, verse 10 confirms this. Where he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein, uh, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. I said a rebuke, not really a rebuke, but they were unable to do it. And Epaphroditus filled the need. He nearly died doing that. You can cross-reference that with Acts 15, 26, and Romans 16, 2, and verse 4. So even though verse 30, guys, needs no explanation. I told you in the beginning that the whole reason of me teaching this chapter today, number one, is a precursor for our new year. But number two, to reveal unto you guys, really and truly, the opposition of this world. You see, the Bible critics love to take this portion of, of, uh, of the book, Philippians 2. Verses 17 through 30. The Bible critics, and these are those who like to Greek the, the, you know, Greek, Greek the daily sense out of it, common sense out of the Scripture. They tear the entire chapter into pieces with all of their should-have-beens, and a better translation would be blah, blah, blah. This is what they do. This is what's called a Bible critic, one who says they've read the originals. <laughs> I'd like to know how they read the originals, wouldn't you? I'd love to know how they read the original law, seeing that Moses destroyed it. Jesus Christ himself said, today's scripture has been fulfilled in nine years, and he read a copy of 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 Isaiah 53. But they want to talk about the originals. If they had their way, this is what they would say about verse 17. They would make the word sacrifice into libation. That's a good word, isn't it? Libation. They would take uh, the, verse, the word service in verse 17, and they would make it a priestly service. Verse 19, they take the words good comfort, and they say cheered. Verse 25, they take companion and labor and say fellow worker. In verse 26, where it says full of heaviness, they say it should have been sore troubled or homesick. Homesick, which makes no sense. Verse 26, they take the word long and say headlong, making it past tense. Verse 27, they take the word sick and change it to ill. Uh, verse 28, they take the words uh, more carefully. They say it should be more quickly. Verse 28, they say naturally care, and they say care truly. And then, of course, verse 30, which we've already said is self-explanatory. They say uh, nigh unto death should have been risked his life. Bottom line is this, guys. There are always going to be people in this life who will always, without, without, uh, without a doubt, without fail, find fault in everything. They are called critics because they are critical in their thinking. They are critical in their actions. 
They're critical in their speech, and they're even critical in their interpretations. They've always had a poor character. They are always most difficult to work with or even be around. So when their focus becomes on the Bible, they are no different. And so, beloved, I challenge you and send this out to you today, last Wednesday Bible study of the year. Write them off. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be angry with them. In my opinion, just ignore the noise of their mouth or the pen. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, beloved, just remember this. Things that are different are not the same. Those who are hailing from a different corner are going to have a different action, a different attitude toward Christ and his word. So today, my friend, setting a stage for the new year, seeing that our faith in action reveals our character in Christ, let us bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless this day and take this word right it upon our heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, for who and what you are. We thank you for the, the message you've given us. We thank you for your holy scripture that is perfectly preserved and purified as you promised. Um, Lord, we pray that we would write it upon the table of our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray you give us guidance, grace, and mercy. Forgive us where we have failed you and lead us into the right way. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer, 
in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one.